0: Looking back at my boyhood in the 1970s, I see a frightened child who lived like a feral animal, surviving day by day on hustle and hope. I had a different nickname in those days. They called me the professor because by the time I was 10 years old, I was reading every book I could get my hands on. If anyone had told me that I'd grow up to be an actual professor at MIT, UC Berkeley, and the University of Cape Town, I wouldn't have believed them. In my hood, that kind of daydreaming was more likely to get you jacked than help you find your next meal or a safe place to sleep indoors. Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Open the
1: pod bay doors please, Hal. and we are here today with uh, a true inspiration a man i have wanted on this podcast uh for years and doubled down on last year during the pandemic uh my audience was so intent and intense about getting on today's guest who is hakim aloshei who is, let me read this quick biography. This could take up most of the hour. He's an American astrophysicist, cosmologist, inventor, educator, science communicator, author, actor, veteran, humanitarian. He's named a visiting Robinson professor at George Mason University, uh, at which recognized outstanding faculty. In 2021, he published an autobiography that we're going to be talking about, A Quantum Life, My Unlikely Journey from the Street to the Stars. His best-known scientific contributions are on the transfer of mass and energy in the sun's atmosphere, the development of spaceborne observatories playing a role in JWST. We're going to talk about that. Transformative (laughs) Technologies. He's got at least three patents that I read, and we're going to go over those. Ion propulsion, computer chips, optics. Okay, Hakeem, my first question, why are you doing this interview? Do you have any time left in your freaking calendar to do an interview with someone so pointless as me? Oh, man. Are you kidding me? Pointless? Not at all. I
0: I absolutely have a lot of time for this. Um, Dude, listen. I hacked the system, sir. (laughs) That's why I have time. You don't do what everybody tells you. So when I was at Berkeley yeah. as a postdoc, there was this famous story about the Berkeley postdocs. Mm. And uh, what happened allegedly was that there was this European uh, postdoc and this American postdoc. And they're walking down the street. and Some guy comes up and pulls a gun. He oh, says, man. give me your wallet. And the American guy hands over his wallet immediately. <laughs> and the European guy goes, no, you can't have my wallet. And the guy was like, what? You gotta give me your wallet. And he's like, no, you better run. And the guy runs And so the European guy (laughs) turns to the American guy and says, look, man, you can't give your wallet to every guy who shows up with a gun.
1: You'll be broke. (laughs) I got that uh, impression once from Jim Simons, who's the uh, patron of our uh, Simons Observatory, Simons Array, uh, mathematician, codebreaker, philanthropist. And once I was hosting a a charity fundraiser for his philanthropy called Math for America, which is a great Mm. charity. Um, And uh, and then there was this famous scientist who happens to be here in San Diego, and Mm. he was hitting him up for money for his own charity. So Uh this guy's hitting up Jim Simons for a charity of his own at Jim Simon's own charity fundraiser that I was headlining. And uh, and then afterwards, Jim looks at me and he goes, if I gave away a dollar to every person who told me I was Ooh. they were a genius, I'd be broke. Mm. The guy's ah. worth like $10 billion. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It, you, you can't, yeah you, you got, yeah, you, yeah, you gotta be vigilant. You gotta be vigilant. All right, Hakeem, I told you before we started uh, that we were going to begin with the question that you're never supposed to answer. You're never supposed to ask. <laughs> Which, is, uh, which are the thing you're never supposed to do, which is to sit in judgment of a book by its cover. Yeah. And right. so I love to <laughs> yeah. ask. You got behind you. I listened to it on audio, on audio book here. I got the opening. Here we go here. I loved it. It was narrated right. by today's guest, Hakeem. And yeah, uh, sure. Hakeem, where did you get the title? A Quantum Life, My Journey from the Streets to the Stars. What does that yeah. mean? And what is that? Who is that young man on the front? Is that you? It's meant to represent me Mm
0: -hmm. because I'm meant to represent, you know, a cross-section of humanity, right? Mm -hmm. A a, a story, right? My story is a story of humans that occurs. Um, A quantum life. So, man, I went through so many titles. Uh, The the quantum here has to do with a couple of ideas, right? One of them is the idea of initial conditions Mm -hmm. determining uh, the full trajectory in classical physics, but only determining the probabilities of outcomes in quantum physics. So when we're all born, we have, um, you know, certain probabilities of where we're going to end up. And you know what? You know, I think of it almost like an eigenvalue problem, right? Like mm-hmm. like the, the the um time-independent Schrodinger equation. Each human can be represented as a vector in this multidimensional space, right? That has to do with identity. So, you know, are you rich or poor? Or are you, you know, within there, you know? race, ethnicity, sex, gender, you know, all these things, right? And then the situation that we put you in, in quantum mechanics, we call that the Hamiltonian, right? So left, you, know, um, you know, that matrix is life, a society, right, that you're mm-hmm. placed in. So, um, you know, you can calculate the probabilities of certain outcomes, right? We don't actually do that. But, you know, if you look at certain life outcomes, they quite often will um, be a strong function of zip code, <laughs> yeah right yeah so, yep. <laughs> yeah and initial conditions right so um and, and you know so that was that's what i was representing there and so and and so my case is so extreme that i uh, i compare it to quantum tunneling mm. as well right you know breaking through this barrier that just shouldn't be that, that shouldn't be broken through and so my unlikely journey from the street to the stars is basically about my journey from living my you know My first four years were like, you know, good for two-parent household, you know, older sister community that generations of my family had grown up in in East New Orleans. Great. Then my parents divorced, and Mm -hmm. uh, the next decade for me was uh, pretty bad, (laughs) to say the least. But at the same time, um, you know, certain passions were uh, engendered in me. Mm -hmm. And so what makes my story so unlikely is what i was drawn to and what i was drawn into Mm. but um you know despite that i was able to still uh, achieve what i've achieved And, and so the thing about it for me is you know i'm not the only person who's done the things that i've done yeah right and how that impacts a person's life and a person's psyche again will depend on their zip code so where i'm from People will say, oh, you know, that thing isn't for me. Oh, now I'm disqualified because I've done these, done these things, right? But, you know, I've gotten to know you guys. All you, I got to know the CEOs, the heads of state, the, you know, all over the world, the government the millionaires. Yes. and I can't tell you how many times I tell a little bit about my story and then one of you squeaky-looking ke- ke- <laughs> <laughs> cats pulled me to the side and go, let me tell you about me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I've never told anyone this,
1: yeah. you know? It, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's pretty provocative because, you know, when I think about that, uh, I naturally, because I'm a physicist, I have that bias. I thought of like a path integral. I thought of a Feynman path integral, <laughs> or, or you know, like the path was unlikely, right? And path has Absolutely. a has a Ooh. has a connotation to us, right? And I like so that. you seek out, you know, kind of the the path that maximizes or minimizes the action. And there's a lot of action in this Mm. book. And we're going to talk about the book. The book has tons of action, both Mm. in the physics sense, et et, et cetera. But I want to take a big step back. And I I want my audience to learn about your fascination with the sun. And starting off with the sun, yeah. the sun yeah. as a star, and then right. we'll get into new stars, uh, yeah. old stars yeah. rather, uh, when it comes to JWST. But I want to talk about, um, first of all, most of my audience th- is, is familiar with, with theorists, because I have a lot of theorists, a lot of Nobel Prize winners yeah. come on, they're, they're theorists. Not so many experimentalists, hardware builders, rocket scientists, literally right. like yourself. Yeah. So yeah. tell me, first of all, what is there to know about the sun? The sun is the closest star. You know, when my kids say, what's the closest star to the earth? I say, Proxima Centauri B. No, no, dad. It's the, it's the sun. you mar- <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah. Don't we know everything about the sun, Hakeem? What's, what's left to learn no, about the sun? We don't sun. know everything about the sun. Um
0: Well, because there there are several reasons. Uh You know, you can't literally, you know, stick probes inside of it. You know what I mean? You you have to observe the surface. And because humans are so dope, they figure out all these amazing ways to do things like helioseismology, where you can figure out what's happening inside the core and even on the opposite side of the sun. Um, But the sun is is not like looking at other um, objects. Because it's so close, we get so much detail that we can't see in other stars, right? Mm -hmm. So when you see something from a distance— you can think you understand it, but then when you look at it up close, you're like, whoa, there's a lot going on here mm, that mm-hmm. I don't quite understand. And so the sun also has utility as a tool. Mm. And that is, is that it is our plasma physics laboratory that has magnetic field strengths and sizes and you know, energy content that's hard to reproduce here on earth, right? If, if, if possible at all. And so we Learn the plasma physics. And, you know, if you think about how much of what percentage of the baryonic matter in the universe is in the form of plasmas, most of it, to the, the short answer. Right. So um, the uh, the idea here is that, you know, quite often we'll learn these plasma physics processes on the sun and then apply them elsewhere. And that's sort of what I've done in my career. You know, so when I, I, I often call my research hacking the stars, mm-hmm. because, you know, stars, you know, the sun is the only star that I've studied to understand the actual object and how it works. But yeah. I've used the sun and my and my knowledge from studying the sun. To develop new technologies, or to help them to, to understand the universe, like for example, you know, supernova cosmology or you know, galactic archaeology. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not studying these pulsating stars to understand the stars. I'm using them for another purpose, right?
1: Yeah. So when you looked at uh, the sun using the Mista, I think that's how you yeah. did it. Yeah. So yeah. that was your uh, thesis project at right. um, at at Stanford University, where we overlapped briefly. I was there as a postdoc yeah. in '99. You were uh, yeah. here as a student. Well, and, I actually uh, finished in 99. Oh, uh,
0: yeah, you know, yeah. I, I remained strategically uh, registered for a year while I wa- worked in Silicon Valley because I asked my PhD about Will you
1: pay me? Uh, my tuition for another year because I can't afford to move <laughs> off campus. <laughs> I know, and at that time, people forget that was the that was the first dot com boom. Yeah, I had live like on the, literally on the train tracks, pretty much on Alma Street. Yeah, I, and I almost yeah. got nailed by the train a couple times. Uh, but uh, mm. but tell me about that rocket. Tell me about the thrill of going to White Sands with this object that you oh, spent so much of your blood, sweat, and tears on, along right. with your dear beloved mentor Art uh, Walker. Yeah. Talk about Art because he was a right. towering figure. I remember Absolutely. his presence uh, around. Yeah. there. But tell me about what it's like to put your baby on a rocket and launch your dreams to the stars with about I think it's like about a 5 to 10% chance that they'll either be catastrophically destroyed or will produce no data. <laughs> so what's that long like? got, I think it had to be at least 50-50, man. That, it, but
0: <clears throat> before we go further. Yeah. I want to establish some sort of pa- you know a, a framing because when people ask me questions about like hey, tell me what fascinates you about the sun. Mhm. It, it, it sets a framing and it has assumptions in it that are not true. Mm. And those assumptions are, is that young Hakeem thought, oh, what would I like to be? What would I like to study? And then I pursued that. Right. That's not how it worked for me, right? For me, it was, oh, man, high school is coming to an end. How do I live indoors and eat after this? Oh, I joined the military. I'm out of the military. Oh, no, what do I do? Oh, I got to find a job. Can't find a job. Go to college. All right, I'm at college. Learning about this thing. Oh, what do I do after college? Here come these graduate students saying, yo, we got this conference you can come to and we'll tell you about this thing called graduate school. Then I get to Stanford and I'm like, I don't trust none
1: of y'all, but I trust him, Art Walker, Mm -hmm. right?
0: So I didn't choose the son. I chose Art Walker.
1: And that's so critical, Hakeem, permit my Absolutely. interruption. But but I always tell my students, it's not important what you go, because they're all like, should I put on that I want to be an experimentalist because that gives me a higher chance of getting into grad school? I'm like, I don't care what you put on. Uh, the most important relationship you're going to have is with your advisor, that man mm. or woman may come to your, th- come to your, uh, come to your wedding. You may go to yeah. their funeral and, and et cetera, et cetera. You're going to have a bond with that person, maybe even closer than you have with your siblings and yeah. or your uncle, certainly than you're like an uncle or something like that. Yeah, so yeah. I want to double, double tap what you just said, because I think it is incredibly important that the relationship matters more than what you are relating with say the science or the thesis or the experiment. So yeah, please go Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us.
0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah. So anyway, as far as like the work of it, man, you know, for me, every time I'm engaged in something, you know, know, on the one hand, I just try to do the best that I can and just be as careful as I can. And if Mm -hmm. I... You know, and then after, and then there's a certain point where it's just not under your control, right? And you and you have to, you know, the fates. It's in the hands of the fates. Have I been naughty or have I been nice? You know, and when it works, you're like yes, right? You know, it's, it's and so, um, it, you know, it doesn't turn out a hundred percent necessarily. But at least if you can get some science, you know, it's so hard to be an experimentalist man. Yeah. And, you know, is it, you know, I, but it's, it's not as frustrating for me as coding, <laughs> especially when I'm working with other people's code. Yeah. But, but, you know, and there is such a sense of accomplishment mm. that you get. But at a certain point, you know, you start feeling like, hey, I'm the redhead stepchild of astronomy. I built the Hubble Space Telescope. But the people that get all the credit are the ones that are using it, you know, to make it, are using it and, uh, and they get the, you know, they're the genius, but I made it. I, I, yeah. So, I mean, audience, I did not make the Hubble t- Space Telescope <laughs> had nothing to do with it. I'm just, that was an example. Exactly um,
1: Putting their life on hands of the oh, it's yeah. inherently fickle. We, as scientists, we're at least to like control. We think we have power. We think we have decisive intent on what the future is going to bring. You put this thing on the rocket. It can oh, blow yeah. up, as you say, one out of every two times. Yeah. Oh, you yeah, wouldn't man. get on a plane. Put it thing. this way. You would not get on a commercial airliner if it had this low a rate of success, right? That's right. Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That is uh, you know, it 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 is not to, you know, no part of it is easy. Uh, mm. and but you know what, nothing in life is easy, right? You yeah. know, being broke ain't easy. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. Um you know, and I say that to say. You know, if we talk about the difficulty of it, we talk about the 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 chan- You know, wh- the challenges of it, then, you know, there's a lot of advantages to what I do. You know, the change in my life that occurred because I got a Ph.D., because I became educated. And, you know, for me, you know, I look at I like to look at history a lot. And when you look at all these people in history that were like, mm-hmm. oh, you're keeping me from an education. And, they, you know, they so value it and they're so trying to get it. And now we're in a world where people like school school ain't like, cool. You know, educate what? Nerd. You know, that kind of thought process. Right. I don't want to run anybody away by, like, it's so hard, right? But, you know, because reality is everything is hard. No matter yeah. what you do, it's hard. Mm-hmm. And, you know, is it, you know, is it fulfilling is, is another question, right? Can you, yeah. uh, you know, and then, of course, for some reason there's your um, value to society and dignity is sometimes associated with your your career. I don't like, I don't think of it that way, but I realize that you know, a lot of society does. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's hard, but it's very worthwhile
1: yeah now talk about um you know some of these th- uh, things that are universal we, we like yeah. to think of scientists the public thinks scientists we're all getting along we're all trying to do the same thing you yeah. know we're yeah. all in the name of science and, and yeah. we're just pursuing truth talk yeah. about what science is really like you have a gripping passage and, and series in the book yeah uh, with your competition against soho and right. and how misto is in competition and yeah. how yeah. people don't think about science as like competitive but and yet they think of scientists like children i'm like do you know a kid who's not like Competitive, possessive, jealous, you know, anxious, whatever. So, talk about like, what is it like to compete against something when the competition's like what they call an infinite game? We're just, you're never going to win science, right? Like, like you might win a Nobel Prize, but you don't win science. So, talk about competition. What was that feeling like against Soho? First of all, what was Soho? Why was the competition so fierce? It must be because the stakes were really high, right?
0: Yeah, the stakes are really high. You know, when you uh, make a new observation, you, you have an edge up on the competition. If you have a new instrument, right, the latest, greatest data is always mm-hmm. gonna give you new stuff, right? That's why JWST is, going. you know, who knows what we're gonna see. Um, and so there's a little sort of competition that happens between rockets and satellites. So a rocket, a suborbital sounding rocket, goes up and comes back down quickly. It's much less of a lead up time and the cost is much less than a satellite. And what you can do with that is you can prove technologies. You can advance them in their technical readiness levels, right? So they can go on satellites, which can then take much more pristine data for much longer periods of time, Mm. right? So now imagine you have a rocket flight and you have a bunch of data and now here comes a satellite. That's coming online and, you know, their data coming and you haven't published your data yet. And mm-hmm. so here's what I used to say as a graduate student, what I felt like I observed. Uh, I thought that there were two types of experiments. There were experiments that are nearly impossible to build. Right. These are like my condensed matter friends. But once you build them and get them working, the data is pretty straightforward. Right. You can analyze the data. You're good to go. You spend all your time making a dang experiment. Then though, there are those experiments that, you know, it's kind of straightforward to make them, but the data is darn near impossible to analyze. Mm-hmm. That was us, <laughs> okay? Because our our detector was photographic film, which is not a linear detector like our electronic detectors. And so extracting, calibrating, you know, we wanted to make um, absolute flux measurements, uh, abs- you know, and, and, you know, measure how many photons hit, you know, at what wavelength and, you know, and so, you know, we, did a, we spent a lot of time doing calibration exercises, uh, and so we were doing so much time in the experimental component. We just and and then the, the analysis component was so tough that you know it looked like we might not be able to get stuff published before someone else did, which means that we wouldn't be able to publish at
1: all. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you have to like keep keep your eye on it, and you also have to navigate these waters of co- of a competition for funding. It's like you know scarce resources at every leg of the journey so
0: my phd advisor um our mission was the first to get these full disc images of the sun that you see all the time with the plasma loops right yeah, he yeah. was in competition with another astronomer at an east coast university i'm not gonna say right yeah, yeah. <laughs> so i become a young professor you know 15 years later or something and uh, you know after starting grad school and uh i go to this conference and this you know, more mature colleagues said, Hey, Hakeem, are you interested in, you know, doing this, a particular experiment together? It was a rocket flight experiment. I'm like, Yeah, mm-hmm. sure. I, I was actually thinking about doing that. He's like, Great. I work with, and he names arts, yeah. you know, number <laughs> Man, one competitor. Just... <laughs> and I'm like, Wow. <laughs> what are the chances? Those guys hate each other. Now I'm going to be working with him. Right. Yeah. So we submit our proposal. It gets very good ratings, but it's not funded. So I called people, you know, the rocket community isn't that big, right? So I called people who I thought would know what the deal was. And so this guy was very straightforward with me. He was like, hey, look, man, you know, we really don't know you like that. You know, you're just coming here from Silicon Valley. uh, And, you know, we know what you've done technologically. We don't want to give you the whole rocket. If you decide to to build just the instrument, we probably would have funded you. But so next time around, here's what I suggest. Either partnering or, you know, that sort of thing, right? So. The next year comes around, and me and the same collaboration we're about to strike up again. And my the guy who approached me originally like, oh yeah, remember your um your uh that other guy who was your you know he's no longer with us. He's doing a different rocket with these other people. I'm like, oh okay, what are they gonna fly? Guess what it was.
1: My rocket. <laughs> your rocket. Yeah. Yeah,
0: and it's going, and it went on to, to get um. Paper. i don't know if it was science or nature or something like that uh-huh. no, was, yeah, yeah i called it quiet q street quiet sun Transregion explorer telescope so dude that threw me for such a loop mm-hmm. i was like i hate y'all yeah. i'm going to another field <laughs> and yeah. i started i started working with um the the, the people that do uh galactic archaeology uh joko ibezich andy becker at, at, at washington Josh Bloom and Peter Nugent at uh, Berkeley Mm -hmm. because I was just like, you know, I don't want to forget (laughs) y'all, you know, this is, you know, I, I, I ain't got time for this. I'm trying to, you know, understand the universe here. I don't have, you know,
1: I got to cult. I got to curate my scientists. Right. You (laughs) got to say no, you know, which is a skill. I think it's hard to learn because in the beginning of your career, you got to say yes a lot because because you don't have as many opportunities. And and in order to say, you know, yes to the things that matter, sometimes you got to say no to other things. You also worked on a very competitive field. uh, Oh, sorry. Go ahead.
0: Is You know, there was that whole thing of like, I I complained that I had no shoes until I saw a man with no feet. Right. So I, I told my colleagues what happened, a couple of friends and a couple of them were like, well, let me tell you what happened to me. <laughs> and theirs was way worse. Like in both cases, they actually got the won the grant for the actual instrument. But somehow their colleagues had convinced them that it was better to take the grant, even though it was their idea to pay it through their institution and they took it. Yeah, kick them off the... Yeah, twice, two different people, two different countries, right? So, yep. um, you know, the competition is fierce. And let me tell you one other thing, Brian. So I, this is, you know, I like to use humor a lot. Yeah. And when I hear the public discussion about science and scientists and how opposite it is of how we actually are... Yeah. And let me tell you what I mean. So when you look at things that are controversial because it um, runs a butt... You know, when you start talking about origins, our faith traditions talk about the origin of humans, the origin of, you know, all this kind of stuff, right? So there's, a, there's sort of like a butting heads. You know, certain things are the, the the topics that I feel like the public thinks that the world scientists get together in a room every 30, 40, 50 years, and the topic is the same every time. What's the big lie we're all going to agree on? Right. Global warming, <laughs> evolution, the big, ba- you know, when the reality is, we ain't agreeing on nothing, <laughs> right? There's no agreement. No, we hate you know. And it's not that we hate each other, it's that no. we're all Sheldon Cooper. Right. <laughs> <laughs>
1: And, and, and that's our job is to be skeptical, right? I mean, Absolutely. Science, uh, Feynman said science is the belief in the ignorance of experts, not the wisdom, not the knowledge. Absolutely. Because if he had just thought, oh, well, you know, uh, Schrodinger got it all right. And Schrodinger thought, oh, Newton got it all right. Yeah. We'd never have Schrodinger, Einstein, etc. Yeah. Exactly, man. So I, yeah. I, I agree completely. And I, I just want to like kind of. Maybe brainstorm a little bit. I had on yeah. uh, one of your competitors last month, a man by the name of Brian Schmidt, uh, one of the few Brian's that I know who have won the Nobel Prize. Yeah, uh, and he, uh, <laughs> he was a he was a competitor of yours when you were yeah. on the Supernova Cosmology Project. Right. And he described with with great disdain the competition, the toxicity. Yeah. Of the competition between those two groups, and it's like no matter where you go, yeah. What was that like to be a part of that? And and like was that part of like when, when did you go to Silicon Valley? Was that after s that was uh, you you were in uh, Applied Materials, and then you went to. And then you went to um, Supernova Cosmology Project, right? You made your millions of dollars from your patents. You made that was the idea. Millions, billions. billions. <laughs> and then you're like, I'll retire. I'll be a, a, a gentleman of, of leisure. That and was. Not, let me tell you what, what I did, like? man. I had played my cards right all the way
0: up until I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, these historic trends in the market. So, man, you know, I negotiated my way into stock options and I was just in there kicking butt you know seven patents in a a year and a half Mm. and uh so i you know i discovered i don't like the culture Mm. okay so i'm like you know nobody's interested in the universe everybody's talking about stocks and chips i want to you know let's think big and they're like i mean i can't tell you how many times you know i'm engineering something i was like oh yeah i think i understand the physics and if we say and my manager go nobody cares (laughs) Right, nobody cares. Just get the, the thing done and out. Right. So anyway, um, what are, we, what are we talking about again?
1: <laughs> it's just like that that Silicon Valley, you know, kind of competition. Then then transferring the Supernova Cosmology Project It's kind oh, of yeah. going back into the, the yeah fire the Supernova the
0: Cosmology Project. So so yeah, that was such a toxic community. And I'll tell you one thing that happened. So when I became a young professor, you know, I didn't take it for granted that I could get funding in uh, anything that I had done. So my first year, I submitted ten proposals, Mm. and it was everything that I had done. Right, I'm submitting some solar stuff. I'm submitting some detector stuff. I'm submitting right, and I, you know, I I was getting these weird reviews. Right, excellent, excellent, fair. Like (laughs) what? And and so, you know, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm gaining insight. Right, because one thing that happened is one of my arts buddies at NASA invited me to be on a proposal evaluation committee Mm. very early. You know, after I became a professor and I'll tell you what was shocking to me, you know, I'm a fanboy, So when I was a graduate student in the 90s and, you know, everything wasn't digital yet, you might, I don't know if you did this, but I would go get the journals, photocopy the papers. And I just had all these stacks of papers. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so what I would do is if I saw the same person's name coming up and, you know, in in a field, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go and get every paper that person wrote and read them. And I literally did that. Right. Yeah. Anyway. I decide, you know, I attend this this Christmas party, and there's a younger astronomer at this party. And I'm telling him, like, oh yeah, man, here's how it goes. Here's here's what you want to know. And when I told him about this experience with one proposal that was excellent, excellent fair, he goes, Oh, I I remember that. The person who reviewed it and I are close. And he told me about that. Uh, Yeah. And guess who it was? The competition of the previous group
1: I was in. Yeah. No, right. heard that before. Yeah. I, yeah, that's uh, something I don't think most people appreciate. You know, you get reviewed by your competitors. It's not even like yeah. you get reviewed by other people. And it goes for peer review. It goes for journal articles. It goes yeah. for grants. And, you know, it leads to some kind of ethical, you know, quandaries. And and by the way, Absolutely. we never get like our, our colleagues in medicine and law. They take classes on ethics. We never get scientific ethics class. At least I never did. I, I don't I've remember any... To- yeah. yeah, or at least like talks to the you know to the TAs on ethics and stuff like sure. that. Yeah, uh, I mean we you have know to do do like right an right hour you know every year and like a online you know course that you know is mind-numbingly boring. But what if we test thought- to see if you're moving your mouse and all this stuff? You know, <laughs> <it's> like, <laughs> yeah. like, but what know. if we
0: approach science the way we have approached this vac this uh, pandemic? Everyone mm-hmm. who needs a vaccine will get a vaccine. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Everyone who has a sound meritorious scientific idea will get that idea funded. Yeah. That's not what we're doing. We are saying to ourselves, we are only going to fund this tiny percentage of the feasible and meritorious ideas. Right. What kind of approach? How are we going to compete with the Klingons? Right. And the <laughs> Ferengi like that, right? hmm
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's like, what are the solutions? You know, some of my friends are like, oh, we should tax emails, you know, because we invented emails or semiconductors where you used to work, right? I mean, uh, physicists invented the semiconductor, invented the laser, invented the transistor and, you know, everything. Do we tax it? Do we have, uh, you know, I I think then you stifle innovation. But, but I think it's, it is an important thing to think about how scientists are just like other people you know quote unquote normal yeah, people absolutely. but i and i wonder in your in your role as you know part of your you know one of your 17 different jobs and hats that yeah. you wear is communicator public you know communicator right. and and public face of science i always feel like when i talk to my colleagues i say you guys have a moral obligation in my opinion mm-hmm to do communication to the public because the public pays your salary. And better yet, it's it's for your own good because the day yeah. that they give up on you and say that you do not need, are no longer necessary because we don't have any wars anymore, pandemic, you know, whatever, um, it's the end of the road for you. And by the way, most of our colleagues, true or false, Hakeem, would do what we do for free, right? We're having fun, we're playing yeah. games. So yeah. it's an existential risk for us. And yeah. yet my colleagues say, oh, I'm not good at that. I'm not good at speaking. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and you had a, you know, y- your journey, you know, from the streets to the stars, it wasn't that you weren't taught this growing up in the South, you know, like, yeah, how did you yeah. approach it? Do you approach it as part of professional development as an obligation, as I call it a moral obligation? Or what do you think? Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I do feel obligated, to be honest with you. But you know, that comes from even even when I was a child, you know, my family was very engaged in the community. Um, and you know, we're a rural community. So you know, we, you know, you have your summer, Uh, well, you know, we sold beer and other products. Uh, we, uh, you know, you have your summer softball and baseball games, you know, and so like my brother-in-law was the manager. And so we would always, you know, host the fish fries and, you know, all this kind of thing, but we were always community and church involved, right. As a, you know, as a, as a young guy. So I brought that in. And then when I went to Tougaloo college, you know, the historically black colleges, they all, they, they also, and, and, and also I went to the military first, right. So also you, you have that sense of service, and then, you know, when I went there to historically black colleges and, and I joined Cap Alpha Psi fraternity, um, you know, our fraternities aren't about, you know, these historically black fraternities. They're not about, let's party, right? <laughs> they're about achieve, right? <laughs> you know, uh, community service. That's, that's what they're about. So this whole, like, built in. So when I show up in graduate school, if you're an American, African-American graduate student, you know, there is a huge percentage of the population, you know, you, you're, you've now in physics or chemistry, something mathematics, you know, you've, you're, you're, you're rare. Right. In this mm-hmm. country. OK, yeah. so <clears throat> you uh, are requested by people that are serving communities that are similar to what you're doing because, you know, they want to see their students, their kids advance to where you have advanced. So then you start going out right now for me. <clears throat> You read, you saw my book. You know, I gave at least one sermon, (laughs) you know. But, you know, for me, I was a kid in the country. And, you know, you had like one channel that worked reliably. You know, it was a turn, go outside. When when it got to the point where you go outside and turn the antenna, then we were big time, you know. (laughs) You know, before you had the aluminum foil on the thing. So, what do you do? You sit around telling stories all the time. So one thing that I had in my book that I cut out and I fear that Eddie Murphy has scooped me is, you know, I I, I memorized Rudy Ray Moore's um, albums. So there was uh, Shine and Dolomite completely memorized at like 10 years old. Right. And then later, when I'm 13, I memorize the signifying monkey. So Google these things and look them up. They're, they're <laughs> uh, But all of this ability to tell a story and then, you know, I had to go to church every Sunday. You know, your parent get in there. Right. And so what do they do? You got to give a speech when you're a kid. Easter, give a speech. Right. So you go in there and you get accustomed to just standing in front of others, making people laugh, you know, that sort of thing. Right. And so um, it came very natural. Mm-hmm. It was a discovery. It wasn't a desire. It was a discovery. The first thing that happened is that as when I became the president of my fraternity at Tougaloo, you know, you got to do the service stuff. So one of the people that I teamed up with was National Junior Achievement. And so we went into classrooms and taught these kids economics. And so, you know, they give you a curriculum, but they don't really give you, here's how you interact. And dude, I'm a total ham. Give me a room full of kids. Oh, we're about to have a ball. Right. So, you know, the teachers are like, oh, my God, you're amazing. And, and the reason why is just like us, right? So, Brian, I'm going to give you a little bit of insight, all right? I, I had a little bit of acting training. Yeah. I see some of our colleagues, they get a, a shot to go on a TV show, and you can he- see clearly that they're talking to our colleagues. They're yeah. not talking to the audience of right. regular folks. They're like, my colleagues are looking over my shoulder. I better be incredibly, you know. And, and so, uh, if, if you know, and, and here's the other thing I want to say. I don't think it's. I think your colleague is right. I don't think it is for everybody. Yeah. Right. And 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 here's what I. You know we. we you know everybody is. Everything isn't for me. You know what I mean? Like, sure, I'm, I might be the greatest basketball player who's ever lived, the prettiest guy in the history of humanity, the smartest, the highest jumping, fastest running, quickest. Anyway, yeah, I might be great at a lot of things, but I'm a complete idiot at a lot of things. Right.
1: <laughs> so recognizing, you know, where you have a gap, where you have a lack and you know that's part of being a good scientist i think you know and yeah and yeah. yeah, if we no, if everything, we, my thesis advisor used to say that's why they call it research, not reading. You know, it's right. like if you knew all the answers, it wouldn't be. Uh, it wouldn't yeah. be. Yeah. So yeah. let's talk about research. Let's talk about your mentor, Art Walker, who was the mentor and the this is advisor of Sally Ride, who is my colleague here at UC San Diego, mm. first American woman in space, uh, inspiration to women and men around the world. Um, what was he like as a person? You, you described oh, very candidly. You know, yeah. he was kind of like a father figure. You have two Absolutely. fathers. Their fathers in your in your story, and we'll talk about both of them. But Although I had
0: three, really. But. Three? Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> the other was my brother-in-law, but you know how it is when you write a book. I submitted yeah, yeah. 150,000 words. They're like, 50,000 words, got to go. You yeah, know what like- easy way to do that, Hakeem? Get rid of characters. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> like, no! It's called Control X. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so talk about art. What was he like uh, as, as a person? The man overcame yeah. many barriers. He, he broke <clears throat> yeah. through a lot of ceilings. Uh, mm-hmm. But he was also, you know, a top one of the best scientists, um, yeah. you know, of that generation. And sadly, he's no longer with us. But uh, but yeah. talk about what 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 he meant to you and the importance yeah. of of mentorship and almost as academia has to have a father, it has to be platonic. But but yeah. we are kind of like advisors. We are sort of like paternal or maternal, right? Yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll
0: turn. I'll, I'll, I will say something to you that um, you know when I was at NASA headquarters, I went and had a conversation with Dr. Freeman Robowski, who's the president of the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. Okay, and there's certain things that are outstanding about this guy one is you remember when martin luther king was leading a group of people over the bridge in selma alabama i don't well, remember it personally but yes not I right exactly <laughs> well Freeman Rabowski was a kid oh, on wow. that bridge yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah he wow. was beaten it's, there's footage of it right Man. so the other thing that's notable about him is that if you look at the top producers of african americans in you know technical fields it's always dominated by the historically black colleges and universities and like the top 15 with the exception of one university and that is the university, his university. Right. So um, I asked him, you know, about what, you know, what he finds effective. And so for me, a lot of the things that I do that are effective, I do them because, you know, it's not like I read anything. Right. It's just kind of luck. Like, you know, it's hard because I have a, uh, I go to a, uh, <laughs> an interview or something and someone is like job interview. Yeah. So tell us how you blah, blah. I'm like, look, I can't tell you how I don't know. It just does, you know. When I when I you know when I lead people, they just are highly motivated and they get their stuff done. They succeed. I have no idea what I'm doing that's different than anyone else, right? I don't, I'm just taking care of every day as it happens, right? Being me, you know. So, Art was one of the three first the, the first three research African Americans in astronomy and astrophysics. Yep. Now, that's different from the first guy, first person to obtain a PhD in astronomy. The first person to obtain a PhD in astronomy was harvey banks in the 60s and he uh became a professor at howard and didn't really have much of a research career but it was an educator mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. but before him in 1956 carl rouse got a phd at caltech now his his phd work was not in astronomy and astrophysics um he was doing i think something to have to do with particle physics you know in that era right so uh carl rouse uses a supercomputer to solve the Saha equation at this, for the core of the sun, right? So to calculate the state of ionization uh, inside the core of the sun. And, and, you know, he got nature papers out of this, okay? So in a way, he was the first uh, astrophysicist that had a research career in astrophysics. Then in 62, I think, George Carruthers and Art Walker got their PhDs. So George Carruthers goes on to be the first person to put an observatory on another body that's not the Earth. Right, he put it. he put a an ultraviolet instrument on the moon that looked back at the Earth and discovered the daytime UV glow uh, and a few other things that I don't re- recall off the top of my head. Um, and then you had art, right? So <clears throat> they go way back. Okay, now um, art as a person, you know, he was a short of stature, but he was very dignified and formal in his bearing. You know, I often compare him to someone like Colin Powell, for example. But the thing about him, because of his bearing and the force of his personality, even though he was short of stature, you know, you felt like he was seven foot six. You know, you, st- you felt like you were standing in front of Shaquille O'Neal. And it was the same way. And he was, and the thing about him is how patient and calm he was. And I picked that up from him. Because you see, my natural <laughs> being is buck wild, right? right. So, um, you know, art, people would ask art questions that were utterly ridiculous and Art would treat each person with dignity and patience and answer their question. So I'm like, ah, I see that, right? I see that. Um, and, but Art was also really tough, okay? And so when I started, it was at a tough time for him because him and his father had had a schism at a certain mm-hmm. point. I don't remember the details of what it was about, but his father got nearer to the end of his life and Art brought his father into his home. And because, you know, I have—I don't know what it is about me, but, you know, people open up to me personally. You know, I, always, I used to say I got this Oprah thing or something. I don't know what it is, you know. <laughs> um, but, you know, I'm a good person to tell your secrets to because I forget them immediately. But anyway, <laughs> um, he would talk to me about his family, right? Mm. And he talked to me about uh, getting close to his father after having a schism. He would talk to me about my relationship with my parents, right? Yeah. And, and how important it is. And then when his father really started um, to decline, was at the same time where we were behind on launching this rocket. So he was under major stress. And then stupid things started happening in the lab. (laughs) I'm not going to go into the details. It wasn't me. (laughs) But there was, say, destruction of incredibly expensive. And Hart would say, you know, you could pay for a year of your (laughs) Ph.D., for breaking that, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> you know? so, mm, that's yeah, right. and the, patent, you know, serious, the, but the other thing,
1: pay off the bills, yeah.
0: Yeah, but the other thing about him was he was so about rigor, man. He just hammered it, hammered it. And and so one of the things that I became to advocate for is he never framed it in this way. Here's what he would say to me. <laughs> he would say, Akeem, did you blah, 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 blah. And I'd say, yeah, it happened. And he was like, Really? Do you know that it happened? And I'm like, yeah, I told such and such. And, you know, they did it. It's like, okay, do you know that it happened? I'm like, yeah. I saw him walk out the room right after I told him. Like, do you know that it happened? And I'm like, I'll be right back, right? <laughs> and I learned what I felt was perhaps one of the most important things I ever learned. The difference between knowing and not knowing. What does it mean to actually know something, right? And so you've verified it. You've confirmed it. It's not belief. I've accepted it as true, and, not, and I'm not verified it to be true, right, when I know it versus believing it. And then sometimes, you know, there is, you know, processes that you can trust to some degree, sometimes like the scientific process. So, you know, I don't have to go and redo, <laughs> you know, I don't, I'm going to build my own CERN. And, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you, know it, 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 you know what I'm saying? So, yeah. uh so ART was really about making sure, like I'll give you an example, MISTA. Let's take MISTA for example. Mm-hmm. So when ART f- flew the very first rocket that got the full disk images of the sun like we get every day now, his mm-hmm. colleagues said two things. Number one, there's an optical problem with your telescope. Hmm. Because you see how there's that emission that covers, well, you see how the plasma loops that you see on the limb of the sun, they have constant cross-section. But we know that magnetic fields diverge with altitude. Right. It's sort of like Albert Einstein with the cosmological constant, right? Like, yeah. I know what I don't actually know, right? so I'm going to do this, right? And the other thing they say it is, you see how there's emission all over the disk? That means that your telescope pass bands, right, you only let through this narrow wave of light, are not properly tuned. Something's wrong there. So here's what Art decided to do. That first flight had three telescopes. After that, the flights had 16 to 22 telescopes. So I'm going to use multiple telescopes that do the exact same thing, tuned to the exact same wavelength, but they're different optical configurations single reflection Herschelians, double reflection Richie Cretiens, double reflection Cassegrains. So if it's identical, you know, the loops have kinds of crosshairs, it's not my telescopes, Is what nature is doing.
1: Ah, okay. So it's right? like in the right. fail safes and the yep, systematic error checks. Yep.
0: Exactly. Right. So, you know, you have all this redundancy in, but it wasn't because that was the best way to do the experiment. That's the way to convince the colleagues that we're doing it the right way. And then there's the whole issue of, you know, sort of spectroscopy, <laughs> you know, is what you're doing with these mirrors. Uh, and so now if you're able to make spectroscopic observations, you're able to make physical measurements, from the light, right? That's what I always, you know. That that was my other big, you know, I, you know, reveal in in, in grad school was where does light come from, you know, <laughs> you know, like you know, it's like what is matter made of? Atoms. Everybody tells you that, right? But then, then you say, where does light come from? Uh, and the answer is, and I, you know, I tell this to my students. If you're nowhere near a neutron star or black hole, matter makes it. That's right. (laughs) And the identity of what the matter is, is encoded in the light. And what the matter is doing is encoded in the light. So interpreting this light is how we do this science, but it has to be done in a rigorous way and you got to prove it to your colleagues. So we then had to develop that science. But Art had already done that for x-rays, because remember that whole battle between the rocket and the uh, satellite? Yeah. In his early work, he had the first x-ray satellite to study the sun, Mm. spectroscopic one, right? And he got the grant first, but a rocket beat him. (laughs) So he likes to say, I didn't get the first X-ray spectra of the sun. I got the, you know, fifth through (laughs) 3,000th. You
1: know? The best, yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, the best, right? Yeah, and they laid the foundation for, you know, how X-ray analysis of astrophysical plasmas would unfold in in the future, right? Um, And that's the sort of thing that I employed. So Art was but Art was also super giving. You know, he always was a member of community groups and he was super giving to me. Right. He would take me like, like you know, I, when I first joined one of our, uh, you know, one of the, uh, the grad student I was perhaps closest with uh, kind of took me under his wing in a real big brother kind of way. You know how a big brother will help you, but they also punch you in the face. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> Craig, he wouldn't punch me. He, he kicked me one time, kicked me in the butt <laughs> and I looked at him I was like, Craig, if you ever so one thing about science communication you asked, mm-hmm. observing art, teaching his astronomy class, because yeah. he made the graduate students run the slide projector, yeah. taught me how to s- communicate science. So if you look at, like, especially if you look at my first TED talk, I basically embodied art whenever I gave my talks, right? But Craig DeForest was another guy. Who was a great science communicator? So he became, after he left Stanford, the the science communicator for the solar physics division of the um AAS, you know, and, and until very recently, right? He was it for like 25 years or something like that. So I had these two great science communicators to give me, you know, as a as an example of being a science communicator, right? Yes.
1: Yeah. And that's part of you know the public persona of science and the appreciation of science. I mean, my only quip is is, you know. When people say, "Oh no, that's too hard for me," like, and I always say, "Oh yeah, I, I know. Yeah, quantum field theory is so easy. You learn that, you know, <laughs> coming out of the womb." And no, 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 I had to study that. <gasps> oh, oh, so you study things that you perceive have value, uh, but so it must be that if you don't study and work on your communication skills, uh, mm. it, maybe you don't perceive it as having value, and maybe it's denigrated a little bit. Anyway, I, I do feel like we, we, you know, every every scientist should at least pay attention to it because it's the soft skills that really lead to our career. I mean, you could be, you know, the greatest, you know, brain, have the greatest memory, the greatest processing power. I don't care. Wikipedia is going to beat you. You know, Wikipedia is a lot smarter than you yeah, and yeah. it knows more facts than you, but it doesn't yeah. have wisdom and it can't relate to people. And, um, you know, for those reasons, I, I do feel like it's a neglected skill. I do try to accentuate that with my students and, and really inculcate in them a desire to Uh, to do that. And there's the old Jerry Seinfeld joke that, you know, people are more scared of public speaking than they are of dying. So you'd rather be at the inside the casket than giving the eulogy at the funeral. Um, But I want to, turn. you know, know, the
0: other thing, man, is what I see, it seems like every young person is a science communicator now, right? Every graduate student has their Twitter video. I mean, they're slick with it. (laughs) Because (laughs) I think also is that people see it um in various ways right it's not just as like okay this is a public good yeah it, it, you know it also can be um it's a way to make money or yeah. you know it's a way for me right. to get my creative person out right or you know as many or i like to teach i like to engage with you know people in prisons or people in the community or kids you know and so there's so many different avenues and so many different styles and you know i think that um, you know, study after study has shown that reaching people is very granular. You know, the more like you are a, a, a person that's trying to accomplish something and you're their guide to it, the more receptive um, they are to it. You know, and so the one study I saw recently was a study on who gets patents. And basically they found that, oh, the, the, the kids who go on to get patents are the kids or the people who were exposed to patent getters. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. But then they looked at it more, you know, finer. And they saw that, oh, if it was a young lady and she was exposed to a woman who had patents, that was even way more effective. You know, and it's quantitative. It's not, you know, uh, uh, you know, it's like a a social study done with data that scientists would say, okay, this is real, you
1: know, because you know how we are. Um, I want to ask you uh, a a difficult question because I do see you as, as, you know, in some ways, like a parent's dream, you know, uh, you know, (laughs) with, with the stuff that you, curiosity that you had, (laughs) no, seriously, I came, the inquisitiveness, the forthrightness, the boldness, look, you change your name, you have courage, man. And you did it. um, You did it. You're, you're self-made in a way. And you're also uh, father raised and father not raised. But I want to ask you, you know, like one of the greatest things I'm teaching my kids right now that that drugs are basically the the one thing I won't forgive. Because when you – when as I understand it, it mm-hmm. depends on different drugs have different effects, right? Yeah. But I do see gateway drugs and I see other things. And I've never done a drug in my life. Maybe I no. should have. but never... <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah, I'm
0: I a can't... nerd too. Don't you bro, bro, no. I don't have no. as
1: <laughs> many brain cells as you to rub around. Like, I, I can't afford no. to lose the three I have left.
0: <laughs> Man, but, me but... and Stephen Hawking, we were – <laughs>
1: like, this is the only rubik's cube i can solve you know oh, i'm, I'm oh, not Lord. that smart man oh, uh, hey, my 16 year old son came back
0: from christmas holiday oh yeah. i know how to solve rubik's cube now Mess it up i'm like oh dude, he's always I'm like, you know i have like, always you know my mom when he was like four. i think he's smarter than you i'm like what so you know i've been fighting this <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: So, you know, I want to think, I want to ask you if it's, if it's yeah. fair, if it's not, you don't have to answer it. But, but like, yeah. I look at, I look at your upbringing, I look at what, and and yeah. just for people, you know, you talk about this candidly in the book, you were, you, you had uh, experience with drugs, you actually, Absolutely. you know, dealing drugs at Stanford yeah. of all places, yeah. you're cooking crack, you talk about that. Um, how can, how can, first of all, let's talk about that. You know, the trope, black man. Yep. raised single parent you know mostly yep. his father left him although yep. i'm a white man my father left me but yep. that, that's yep. for another it story. wasn't
0: like that they, nobody left they, you know they broke up
1: <laughs> yeah there's there's no monopoly yeah. right uh but um you know there's this trope right in yeah. the cycle of poverty the cycle right. of weakness right. right. talk about that Were, was that something like that people get wrong about you or that yeah. is just a trope oh he came from the ghetto he came from or wherever yeah. he came from yeah. the deep yeah. south no no his dad was a drug dealer is that a trope or is there something to learn from it? Are you sick of you talking know, about it? I,
0: you know, it's, it's really interesting that you bring that up because I just was listening to something or watching something about exactly that and how it came about from this document, this analysis that was done. And, you know, if you look at these, sta- you know, the statistics and they looked at it as like, you know, crisis in the black family. Well, guess what? It's no longer just a black family. So mm-hmm. the statistic that everybody likes to, you know, point out is like seventy percent of black kids are born to black Correct. mothers who are unmarried. Yeah. But guess what? White women who, uh, would only, you know, without much education, sixty-eight mm-hmm. percent of their kids yep. are born out of wedlock. Right. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is, there was a study done of parental involvement. So even though you're not married your parents are still involved in your life. And so it turned out that African-American men had the highest parental involvement of all races, mm, right? Mm, so wow. even though my parents were married when I was born and divorced, yeah, yeah. my right. father, you know, now it wasn't like, you know, so the, the guy I wrote my book with, another Jewish guy whose father was a, a neuroscientist, yep. um, you know, there were these times where he, w- he was like, well, you know, when they gave you an IQ test and they discovered, didn't your parents, you know, you know how like, They'll send you to be in a gymnastics camp. I'm like, no, dude, ain't nobody gonna do that where I'm from. You know, they're, you know, (laughs) know, nobody gives a care. Um, But my story is extreme, right? Most kids weren't me. I was, you know, there was every guy in the eighth grade wasn't selling joints. It was just (laughs) me. Right, Right, right. every guy in ninth grade wasn't selling joints. It was just me.
1: And then did go to Stanford and get a PhD from Stanford. Either.
0: Well, yeah, but no, a lot of the people at Stanford were selling joints, right? <laughs> That's and right. That the difference that. is that, you know, like I told you before, I'll tell my story is some high ranking person in the world who's non in black. Oh, let me tell you my story. And yeah. the difference is, is that it becomes a part of your identity if you're part of that lower economic uh, identity group. Right. But if you're in a higher, Oh, it doesn't really matter. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. you know, at least one president. I'm not going to name because yeah, I told you, you know, the hater listener is going to be like, yeah, yeah. yeah this right, book. I snorted a few lines. I smoked, right? Right, man. I, I tell you this, you know, just like I say, science ain't science, drugs ain't drugs, right? And and what I mean by that is, you know, precision and prediction in physics is very different than in say medicine, mm-hmm. right? So you can't say science, right? And it's the same thing with drugs. You know, having a beer, yep. <laughs> smoking a cigarette, drinking some coffee. Cocaine, heroin, you know, all this right. array of things. There are some of them, of course, don't ever go anywhere near that. But the biggest problem that parents have is when you take that extreme position and they leave home and they see their colleagues, you know, I'm saying I'm not touching that drug while y'all are drinking and doing lines and smoking. I'm going to be there. And then they go on to have the exact same life. You're like, huh, what the hell was dad talking about? They didn't die instantly, right? Most people don't become alcoholics who drink alcohol. Most people don't become drug addicts, right? right yeah. They become successful professionals, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, and so having these tropes, tr- it, it, it lives in everybody's mind. So not only will people look at you in a certain way, people look at themselves and, oh, I guess now I'm disqualified. I can't do it, you know? So one of the questions I've gotten over and over is like, man, how could you have been doing that while being at Stanford? I'm like, clearly statistically <laughs> i wasn't the only one yeah right Like several people are doing it chances are your parent was doing you know mm-hmm. and you know parents and teachers are big hypocrites right you know i, I was talking to a uh a, a good example of that is there was this one guy i knew and uh you know this guy he was married but he, he you know he loved to talk about his exploits of the past right <laughs> now, even though he was a devoted Husband, you know, hardcore Christian guy, you know, but he loved, yeah. yeah, man, you know, to impress, right? He thought it was impressive. But they had a daughter who was coming of age, and their daughter had promised that she would not, you know, have relations with a boy till after graduating high school. Mm-hmm. And after this couple graduated high school, that same day, they had relations, <laughs> right? <laughs> and so he was telling me about this and how he went through, ar, ar, right? And I'm like, dude, you're talking to the wrong guy. <laughs> you did it. I did it. Your wife did it. Your mama right. did. It, you know what I'm saying? And the world didn't fall apart, right. Right? right? right. So stop being. You know, it's not a tragedy. You know, there's responsibility that has to be taken. There's care. You want to get. You know, you know want to do things right way and it's things like, like mystery. that. Right. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But don't treat things in a way that's going to make you lose your credibility with your child. Yeah. right For being. You know. A hypocrite, or you know, so I I try to tell my kids the truth. Like for example what I've come to understand about our educational system, right? Yeah. You're not learning mastery there most of the time, especially when it comes to something like mathematics. I now firmly feel like I have enough evidence to say that if you learn mathematics well, right, before you graduate high school, it happens for one of two reasons. It's in your house slash community Mm -hmm. or you're lucky. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. I was neither one. (laughs) Right. I had to learn it later, (laughs) you know, um, and, uh, so now I have a son yeah. and my son completes algebra one at seven, algebra two and trig at nine starts mm-hmm. calculus at 10. Cause so I was wow. teaching him, mm-hmm. Okay. Teaching him how to master. And then I see what schools do. I'm like, look, dude, let's be, let's be frank about this. School ain't where you get mastery from. In fact, what they're doing is BS bogus solution. Right? Mm-hmm. It's not, you know, I got that from my math teacher in the Navy, uh, Mr. Galuli. He'd say that he, he was so good at knowing how you're going to think incorrectly and lead you right down this incorrect path. Yeah. like, dude, that, yeah, shake his head, right, yeah. And then yeah. after that, he writes BS on the board, right? <laughs> now, we were in the military, you know, we got to be proper. He writes BS. Oh. We're like, oh, shocked. And he goes, <laughs> bogus solution. Bogus solution. <laughs> But yeah, man, it, it really is uh, doing an education now. I think that um, you know, there needs to be a major revision in how we do things. And clearly, to educate the kids, you got to educate the parents. You know, my goal is to turn every parent into me. Uh, and so, my, you know, when my mom claimed that, oh, maybe he's smarter than you, I said, no, the hell he ain't. His daddy got a PhD in physics. Both my Not parents exactly. right. didn't even graduate high school. It matters. <laughs> There's a reason why people want to send their kids to the best school in there. It yeah. actually does matter. It, it's not the kid. It's the training of the brain and the mind. So exactly. let me give you an example. So he's doing AP physics now <laughs> and in high school. And he showed me his uh, book, right? And it's a real college, you know, like, you know, what are you, what, what is it, Resnick and whatever, you know, I don't remember yeah. these the the university Christmas. physics, that type of book, yeah. right? Yeah. And I'm like, man, this is great. But you guys should have done this by like week two or three. And he's like, no, dad, you don't understand, man. It's really hard for everybody. Mm -hmm. And I I don't understand why. You know, I I try to teach my friends sometimes. They just don't get it. I know it's because you taught me how to think a certain way, but I don't understand how they miss it, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's a a key thing, knowing how to think, being trained to think for yourself, right, to be logical and um, critical thinking. We don't teach that. Right. And so when I became a part of the federal education ecosystem, Mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to push to get critical thinking taught. And guess what? Surprise, surprise. I wasn't the first person in history to think of this, but it got killed. Why? Mm. Because it undermined parents and faith. So if you teach your kid, so that same guy, for example, that I told you about who was hypocritical with his daughter. Yeah. I remember one time, you know, so you, you ask a him, dad, why is the sky blue? Right? You got an actual answer, right? Right. right, right. So I taught this kid, you know, and I didn't teach him enough tact. So maybe we were like five or six and him and his little cousins run up to that guy and ask him some question like that. Why is the sky blue? And he gives an answer, whatever it is. What is lightning? You know, something like that. And he gives the answer and the other kid's like, okay. And my son goes, that's not an answer to that question.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, dude. Shh. <laughs> I have respect, but but yeah, right. your sure. mind, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I have some respect. Ah, <laughs> yeah. Tough job, man. People think of, uh, you know, oh, it's hard to get a PhD. It's hard. It's hard to be a professor. Get out, you know, through all the academic oh, Hunger Games. Dude. It's hard to be a taxi driver. It's hard to be a exactly. bus driver. It's hard to Yeah work at a I, i've done them all yeah. <laughs> <Trust> me. <laughs> that's right yeah so and then kind of wrap, wrap up, up that up, i want to uh convey you know just i i think of you as this you know kind of you know my my notes as i'm jotting down as i'm listening to your voice mm. and the mellifluous tones that you elicit uh i know uh, where
0: you're going i know where you're going <laughs> world's greatest basketball
1: player in history and and speaker <laughs> and singer of baritone lyrics um I listen. I sing in one note that's out of tune. So (laughs) I say I play one instrument. It's Spotify. I play Spotify. (laughs) Um, I want to ask you, you know, like I've often heard it said, you know, like, oh, I wouldn't change anything about my past because, you know, it's my past world line, the paths, the quantum paths, you know, in the path integral. That's what got me to where I am. And I'm happy with where I am. You know, I always tell people, like, what if you search on Google, you you search this term, I came, you search, um, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Yeah. You say, what was the sentence the person said right before that? It's, I got fired. She broke up with me. It's always something bad. Mm. It's never something good. So mm. I want to ask you in that same vein, like yeah. in your, in your, and I usually ask this in the context of my final questions, but we covered mm. so much. I I, I right. feel like I would be redundant to go over it again, but mm. in your pet, would you change anything? Is there stuff that you would change? You know, uh, uh, how would you, because you you talk a lot about the heartbreak of of dealing with your father and yeah. and, and then losing art as you say yeah. very yeah. touching and 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 dealing with I mean straight up racism and it's yeah. true and you don't use that as a you know you're not like harping on that as because yeah. you admit candidly your your foibles and so forth is there a ch- uh, uh, an element uh, a path integral is, is there a part you know one of the vertices of the Feynman diagram that made Hakim who he is would you change it would you do anything different would you go back in your twenty year old self would you cha- would you tell him I'm too scared to do
0: something like that, man, because I'm like, you know, it's the butterfly effect, right? You know, things Mm -hmm. have have turned out. I've survived. And, you know, people around me, like, man, especially 2020, you know, losing close friends like just a a month ago. One of my closest friends is in the book. You know, I talk about my, you know, not as much as I did when it was 150,000 words. My (laughs) band crew, (laughs) Mm -hmm. my drum line story. Man, there's three of us left. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sorry. Like early last year, about a year ago, our heart and soul, Andrew McGee, the guy who went to the state science fair with me. Oh, yeah. He, yeah. He had a heart attack and passed away. And then the guy who, who you know, told me all about dating, like, boy, I say it like you mean it, <laughs> you know, Jackie Pugh and Jackie Pugh would say this, too. I'm going to curse. But, you know, I go home, you know, I, you know, come back from uh, Tougaloo and I've like studied or whatever. And I've discovered that oh, those bright ones are the planets. That's Jupiter, right? And and so, you know, we're standing outside in the middle of the night in Mississippi. It was all blue, and we're doing whatever we're doing, but you're always talking. And I would always start like, oh, by the way, did you guys know? And my man, Jackie Pugh, who just passed, he would always go, there yeah, he go with that shit again.
1: <laughs> love oh, him, man. man. I love him. Yeah, I'm yeah. sorry, man. Yeah, man. Yeah, so uh, that's amazing. Oh, actually, I want to ask you one of my final questions as yeah. always um, involves the movie, uh, 2001, A Space Odyssey, when yeah. these you know primates in Africa, they come upon this monolith, you know, this, yeah. this solid black thing, and then we don't know what it is. It could be a time capsule. It could be yeah. a warning or whatever. But I want to ask you, if you had a monolith, you know, that was guaranteed a time caps to last a billion years, Ooh. what would you put on it? What would you put in it? Many. <laughs> That's an easy it's one. It's, good. It's, good. it's leaving now. So yeah, that yeah. means you're ready to go, right? Blast well, let me off. tell
0: you something, Brian. So I was talking to Rocky Cobb. You know Rocky Cobb? Yeah, of course. In Chicago. Yeah. yeah. And so this know. is when I first met him back in 2003. Mm-hmm. And he told me two things that stuck with me. He was like, oh, you know, you're only 30. You're only the third astro person I know from uh New Orleans, Louisiana, where there's yeah. me and there's some other giant of astronomy and there's you. I'm like, right. well, thanks, Rocky. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just graduated Ph. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> right. And then he says, uh, he gives that apocryphal quote from Mark Twain and he applies it to physics. And, you know, he talks about Albert Einstein. People's like, it's not what we don't know, it's what yeah. we know that ain't so. That's right. Right. And so yeah. I started thinking about that in terms of the universe and our yeah. reality, uh, and so you know one of the things like you know space and time, like just right right where I started, right yeah, and I, I figured I had this thought, I'm like, okay, you know, me and Brian are experiencing this moment, and we call it now, and we believe don't know it, we believe that there was this thing called the past, and the universe has evolved up to this point, and now is the actual real now, and mm-hmm. beyond now, there's that thing called the future, that's right, and then I was like, but Every person who's ever lived would have that exact same thought. Every conscious entity that's aware of time. So what makes my now the actual now and not their now? So it seems like the existence of consciousness makes all world lines coequal in a way. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. as far as I know, it's 100 million years from now and I'm already dead. <laughs>
1: that's
0: right. So if you want to understand why Hakeem is so unfiltered, <laughs> you know, after you die, they tell all your secrets. Right. Exactly, <laughs> you know? right. Yeah. And so I've just, I've just already died myself. Yeah. Right. I'm, I'm like, you know, let me just, you know, let me unleash and just be who I am. Because I feel like, you know, I'm, you know, disappointing myself is the biggest disappointment,
1: mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. I know what
0: my life's missions are and I'm living those missions and I have disappointed myself a lot in life. Yeah. You know, so there's not there's very little someone could tell me to make me uh, feel like you know i'm not doing it right or but anyway the point is that i'm not convinced that you know a billion years you know i might be there a billion years from now i don't know <laughs> how do you know how can you tell right. that yeah. we're actually going through time in these bodies versus you know you're a consciousness and these frames already exist and you go through them over and over and over again you know, yeah. next time I'm going to be Brian. You know, I mean, you
1: know, you can't do an experiment. <laughs> that job's taken, that. man. That job is taken. You know, they say <laughs> <Someone> like, <else? laughs>
0: you the might, might want to be me next time, man. You gotta, exactly. You know, they they you say, get those uh, drugs in, but <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, listen, I haven't told what, you. I'm, I'm when done. I hit sixty-five, when I'm retired from the university, I will, I will explore an experiment. i yeah. a rapper. <laughs> um, so look, Hakeem, uh, yes, it would actually be derelict in my duty if I didn't ask you, a solar physicist. Yeah. Yes. Um, one, Dude, I'm a wow. physicist.
0: I'm not a solar physicist.
1: Well, I know, but a solar, you know, man who knows so much about the sun. I did it, supernova it, cosmology. I did galactic archaeology. I, know, I did I semiconductors. I I did How do I get to talk to a genius about the sun? Let me ask you this one question. That, this is going to be a separate clip. It's going to be, you know, uh world's expert or, or famous astronomer Ooh. gives advice. So there are mm. these people called preppers. You ever heard about preppers? No. Okay, these are guys that are planning and gals planning for the end of the world, end of civilization. doomsday Doomsday
0: preppers, yeah.
1: Doomsday preppers, right? So one of the things they're worried about in addition to a global pandemic, that would never happen though. But but something (laughs) that could happen is a solar storm, a Carrington event, a solar mass ejection. Um, First of all, what are those things? Should we worry about them? Is that overblown? How would you personally prepare? Is this something that you're really worried about? We'll make this into a little clip. All right, right, so what's a Carrington event? What's a solar mass ejection? What the hell's going on with the sun? I yeah. thought we had so, a deal. I thought we had a deal, man. We got a deal. We got a
0: deal. So the sun is uh explosive in its surface activities at the at the micro scale and at the large scale. And the larger scale's explosions are known as flares. If it's contained because there's a sufficiently strong magnetic field overlying the magnetic fields that break apart and give their energy to the matter that you know would otherwise go and a lot of that energy does excitations and ionizations, which results in, well, you'll assume it's fully ionized, but excitations which result in light being emitted. Mm-hmm. But then, if there isn't a sufficiently strong overlying magnetic field, it just bursts out. And mm-hmm. if it's pointed at the Earth, it's coming at us. And, you know, it carries magnetic fields. And so if the magnetic field of the material coming from the sun in that coronal mass ejection is opposite in direction to the <laughs> magnetic field of Earth, then you have your worst-case scenario, Carrington-type event, event. And so what happens is the Earth's magnetic field just gets collapsed down, right? And so it, it, it gets penetrated. And the Earth's magnetic field, some of those field lines reconnect themselves, just like what happened on the sun to trigger that flare. Mm-hmm. And that sends charged particles streaming down and hitting our uh, atmosphere, which ionizes, creates the northern lights. But when you have changing magnetic fields right so i always ask my students in, you know how do you create what creates electric fields electric charges changing magnetic fields what creates magnetic fields moving electric charges changing electric fields so that changing magnetic field in our magnetosphere creates electric fields which move currents through our power lines and could destroy um satellites our power grid you know it 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 could be really bad. Mm -hmm. But I think what we should be more concerned with is what's happening with the Earth's magnetic field. The Earth's magnetic field serves as our shield. And our magnetic field from time to time flips. Mm. And at the midpoint of that flip, the Earth is not as protected from the solar wind particles, radiation, as otherwise would be.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Now, this is not something that happens in a day, right? Or a year, right? right. You know, but... Uh, right now the sun is weak. If you look Mm -hmm. at the peaks in the maxima as it has more and more flares and this sort of thing, each peak is not equal. There's a cycle. They get stronger and weaker. So they've been getting weaker. So our Mm -hmm. sun today, in terms of its surface activity, it's weaker than average. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So it's when you have a solar maximum, when the maxima are near the big maxima, that you can get events like this, and we don't have to worry about that. Hmm. Now, edit so, that down to four seconds. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, that's impossible. That is truly into the impossible. But that is the name of my podcast. And the reason I call uh-huh. it so is because we are fascinated by people who, as Arthur C. Clark said, the only way to understand the limits of the possible is to go beyond them into the impossible. And, Hakeem, yeah. you've done so much for so many. May you continue uh, to, you, to inspire, to create, yeah. to innovate. And uh, and to spread these wonderful ideas and knowledge that you have. So infectious. The best kind of virus is the mind virus. of Ooh, uh, I Game And I hope we get to meet again. It was so much fun to meet you in Washington, D.C. Yeah, go ahead. I got to say one more thing, Brian. Yeah. You know, just looking at you, man,
0: I was like, wow, that guy is a super nerd. I am. a nerd. Surely he's a hater. <laughs> But then I discovered the we have all the same friends, and then mm-hmm. I get to meet you now, and I'm like, this dude is this cool he's a cool nerd. He's not a hater. That's right, so, yeah.
1: Uh, well, if you want a rebuttal, I'll, I'll let you introduce you to my mother-in-law. She <laughs> will she will rebut that and oh no, I think that I really appreciate it. Thanks for spending your time Thank with you, me. sir.
0: Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic.